message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I've just entered a, a whole new phase of uh, my midlife crisis, which has only been running for about 10 years. So, In the last 18 months, uh, hope has left home, peace has left the country, and then yesterday, Mercy had her first motorbike delivered at home. <laughs> it's very tempting when I was filling out the insurance form. Any other riders for this one? Um, I want to start uh, this morning by saying a massive thank you to you uh, for the offering that was taken um, at the carol service um, at the end of last year, uh, because that offering was given to Faith Open Enterprise, and um, you gave an amazing £800 to us for our Christmas hampers, so we're really, really grateful for that, and uh, to let you know that... Um, one of the things that we did with that was we just improved the quality of the food that we were able to provide in the hampers. So we didn't buy um, people loads more stuff. What we did was we bought them better quality food. And uh, also we had three families who were in family homes, so we bought them some, um, well the word's just completely off my head, kind of tokens for DIY, a well-known chain of DIY stores so that they could kind of personalise their home and do some things in their own homes, so we're really, really grateful to you um, for that, just really blessed them at Christmas. Um, and at that meeting, I uh, spoke a little bit about three residents, um, so this is not a terribly long introduction, I've, I've just reversed the theology and the application for this morning, I'm doing some application before we look at um, the theology. I like to do things differently now and then. So I've got uh, one or two photos to show you. I do promise that these people have given me permission to do this this morning. This is Emma and Katie. Uh, Matt's a little bit photo shy. Um, I I took this in the summer. Um, Emma has lived in our accommodation for just over three years. Uh, Her partner Matt has lived with us um, about six months longer than that. They both moved into a shared house. We do mixed gender shared houses. Um, and this is what happens when you when you put men and women together in the same house. They uh, they got together, and uh, Emma fell pregnant uh, with little Katie. Katie will be two on the 9th of February. Uh, when she was born, because of Matt and Emma's history, she was uh, taken straight to foster care by social services, um, and she was in foster care for nearly a year, about ten months. Um, and then it was decided that uh, Matt and Emma had made enough change in their lives and were doing well enough for Katie to go and live with them at home. So we uh, kind of transformed their shared house into a family home and Katie went to live with them. And then on the 11th of January this year, social services came to the conclusion that they had made such good progress in their lives that uh, they could discharge Katie from their services. Uh, so... We're still involved, obviously we're still providing a lot of support. One of the things that we've been doing with this family is, uh, because of things that had happened in her life, Emma had become pretty much estranged from her parents, a bit of contact with her mum, none at all with her dad. Um, So over the last few years, 
we've been trying to uh, rebuild that relationship. I'm going to be taking the whole family up to workshop where Emma's mum and dad are um, day after Katie's birthday this year. And we've gradually seen that relationship grow and improve. Um, we take her up there um, several times a year now. Initially, I sat in, so I was in the house because, you know, things get said. There's history here. Uh, I wanted to be able to help them process how that went and how things happened. I don't need to do that anymore. I take my laptop, I drive around the corner, there's a cafe with internet connection. I just sit and work and let this family uh, rebuild their relationships together. Uh, and Dad has really, really warmed to Emma and Matt and Katie over the last couple of years. And that is just one of the best things that we do. Um, just amazing. Um, if you are at um, Quizzical in about October, um, you will have heard Jay speaking about his life. This is Jay, a good looking fella, and every guy with a beard. I tell you, what an example we set. This is, so this is Jay, he's lived with us for a little over two years. Um, life was completely crazy for him when he uh, came to us, and it doesn't change just because you put a roof over somebody's head. It does take a little bit of time. Um, but Jay met his partner, Emma, uh, another Emma, uh, who is absolutely delightful. She has a, a four-year-old daughter, the eldest one, and then together uh, they have just had this newborn little girl. And um, so I had a few days off over New Year. Um, my, my 2016 began, first day back at work, half past three in the morning, Jay rang me, the baby's arrived! She's been born! I said, that's fantastic, that's great, you're in the hospital. No, she's born at home, the eldest only just got here, I delivered her myself, Kim. First phone call I had at work, and then you, you know what it's like. I've been there, I said stupid things when our children were born. He said, Kim, we need some new bedding, it looks like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and uh, they're well, they're doing really well. Um, came home the same day, so that evening I was I was around there. He, uh, he sat this little girl on my lap, so he come sit with granddad. That, that, was, that was harsh. <laughs> Um, we have uh, recently um, bought a, a little family home out in Belpa. Uh, we're currently in the process of doing them up, but the, uh, doing that house up for them. But in the next few weeks, we're hoping that they're going to move into that family home. They are a really lovely, lovely family. Um, and for Jay, childhood was uh, very, very difficult. Uh, another very difficult childhood story. We make a lot of these. Um, and he's, uh, he has kind of sporadic contact with various members of his family, but there's, there's one older sister who he lived with uh, for a time. He has kind of, um, he's been through adoption and care homes and stuff like that. Lived with his older sister for a little while. No contact with her at all um, at the moment, but I do. Um, so I'm in regular touch with her, and I just send her the odd picture and tell her how Jane's doing. Um, and I've got no agenda, um, except that in my heart I would love to see this um, brother and sister reconciled. And we'd love to see some peace in this family. And um, what we know is that when people can show over, uh, over a period of time some consistency in their new life, then, then that is very possible. Um, families can start to trust again. Um, so that's Jay and Emma. And then finally, someone who um, some of you will know because he's, um, he's been around at Jubilee at different times um, uh, over the last few years. Uh, this is Ray. Ray's become a family friend. We've housed him for about six years. 
he comes to us for Christmas Day every year. He's been to Hear Hope singing concerts and watch Peace Play football. And he's been to school productions uh, with Mercy. Um, Ray was taken away from his parents by, by social services when he was very young for his own safety. Uh, he spent a very short period of time uh, living with this couple. This is Auntie Joan and Uncle Jeff. Uh, and eventually he was taken away uh, from them as well and put into um, children's homes. So he grew up in children's homes in the kind of 1970s, 1980s. He's my kind of age. Um, experienced and witnessed some pretty terrible things uh, and found life kind of 18 years old leaving the care system extremely difficult. So he has a, he has a very, very tough past. Um, and lost contact with his family because of various things that were happening in his life um, and over the last few years we've just touched base again um, with, with this couple um, I think when we first turned up they were quite wary but we've been going to see them every few months now for um, the last kind of year or so and uh, we were there this week so I took this picture um, and we've really seen I have really seen them warm in their hearts uh, towards Ray um, he had Christmas presents from them this year, first time for many, many years he's had Christmas presents from family. They always insist I stay. We've made lunch for you, Kevin. They ask me about my children. Um, and next, in the next few weeks, um, Uncle Jeff is a big Burton Albion fan. In the next few weeks, Ray's going to travel down, meet Uncle Jeff, go to the game, and touch base with some cousins and uncles who he hasn't seen for a long time, and where things have been really tough. So um, we're still an ongoing work. Um, but this family, we're just seeing relationships restored again, uh, some peace being brought, and um, it is absolutely wonderful. So these are three very good friends of ours. <sighs> and part of the reason for doing that is actually this is the outworking of uh, an element of the gospel that we believe is absolutely um, key uh, in terms of what does it mean um, to be a Christian, to know God as our Father, to have been um, brought into his family, reconciled with him through Jesus. This is one of the ways that we work it out. So we're going to start to look again at Colossians. Um, I'm actually, because um, because I want to, um, we're going to start from the beginning. <laughs> it's just because I want to. Um, and the reason for that is, John has asked me specifically to speak on verses 15 to 23 of Colossians chapter 1. Um, today, so, uh, but what happens is Paul doesn't write in nice, neat little blocks of separated thought. Um, he's actually quite consistent. So when he starts, he's got something running through his head about creation that continues in the verses we're looking at. But I want to just point out where it starts, and we'll look at some of where his thinking comes from uh, in Colossians chapter chapter one. Let's. Yeah, my, my my watch might have stopped. I could talk for hours. Yeah, borrow mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this. We have his and hers watches. <laughs> too, pre- too much pressure. Too much pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It falls off. Silver wedding present from our oldest daughter. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you love us. Thank you that we've been hearing this morning so much about your great love for us. Thank you, Jesus that you chose for the cross as a way of our salvation, a way that we could be reconciled to our Father in heaven. Thank you for the peace that you won through the blood that you shed. And Father, we want to ask you this morning that as your spirit takes your word of truth and applies it to our lives, we would be transformed 
by the power of the gospel, by the love and grace of our God, and by your passion to see people enter into your kingdom and know you for who you are. We're going to ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Paul starts writing, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, grace, oh sorry, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. I'm going to just stop there because actually that's the first point I think in this letter where Paul starts to think about the creation story. Um, So we're just going to briefly look at it. So he's talking about the gospel growing throughout the world and bearing fruit. If we just turn to the creation story, there's a couple of bits in this that we're going to pick up in our thinking. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves along the ground. Okay, so in in the creation story, this is what happens. God creates man in his image. That's really important. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. And he commissions them to fill the earth and to be fruitful and to rule. And what Paul is picking up on in Colossians is this idea that through the gospel, this commission is beginning to happen. Because it didn't happen with Adam and Eve because... They sinned and rebelled against him. So his plan didn't work. He speaks the same words to Noah and to Noah's sons. Um, In Genesis chapter 9 verse 1, he tells them to go and fill the earth and to rule it and to bear fruit. The gospel, Paul says, is filling the earth and bearing fruit. God is doing in the new creation what was always intended in the first creation. He intended that man should be made in his image, should fill the earth and rule it with his righteousness and his justice, in his love, with his grace. And it kind of didn't work. And there's judgment that comes in the flood and he gives the same commission to Noah and it kind of doesn't work. But now there's a new creation happening. There is a recreation. We're going to come to it. Don't worry if you're not with me. That Jesus has brought about in the resurrection and ascension. And the gospel is that power that begins to work in the earth so that people recreated in the image of God are ruling the earth again, bearing fruit. The righteousness of God is being made known. That's the kind of imagery that Paul is picking up on. And he says, it's been doing this among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with all knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. This, this is just, it's cyclical, if you can kind of, what he's saying is we are praying for you to have wisdom and understanding so that you can live a life worthy of God, so that you can live a holy life, so that you can bear fruit as God always intended his people to do. And as you do that, as you learn from him and put that into practice, you will gain more wisdom and more understanding and become more like him. That's, that's the plan. That's what God is setting out to do. Does that make sense? Excellent. That's his purpose. Okay. So, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We'll go right through the next bit and then we'll start to break it down. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Now, one of the ways that we can understand that, and, and both these ways are quite okay, there's not a right or a wrong, one of the ways that our heads can go is to understand that Jesus, the, the image of God, is God. It's the introduction to John's Gospel, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The writer to the Hebrews describes Jesus as the exact representation of the Father's being. We're going to come to that because Paul comes to that in a moment. Or we can think about this, and this is equally true, that Jesus is what Adam was always meant to be. A man in the image of God. Actually, Jesus is perfectly human. 
holy man. He is the most human human there has been since Adam was created and as he lived before the fall. Jesus is fully human. And he is fully divine. And this understanding underpins so much really important Christian teaching that it's worth just pausing with. It matters that we find ourselves in Christ, the man. That he took our place on the cross as a man. To bear the punishment and the wrath and the judgment of God against sin. It had to be a man who did that. Sin has always been punished. God has always punished sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, he sacrificed an animal and clothed them in its skin. There has always been a blood sacrifice for sin. But animals cannot atone for the sin of people. Because politically incorrect though this might be, Mankind is the pinnacle of creation and was given to rule over the animals. So the sacrifice has to be a man. Jesus comes as a man. When we think about Jesus, tempted like we are and without sin, we think of a man who has exactly the same experiences and emotions and temptations that we have. And... He is perfectly God. He is divine. He is, as Paul says, uh, a little bit further down, verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He says in chapter 2, verse 9, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He was divine. Peter, who knew him, said, we've seen the glory of the one and only. The disciples worshipped him. He didn't stop them because he is God. He is unique. Holy God, holy man. Now, when I was at, when I was at school, I had an English teacher who I have grown to love more and more um, over the years, um, much more than I loved him when he was my English teacher. Uh, and he had studied theology at Cambridge, and his dad was a, uh, a minister in the Church of England, and we used to have some quite challenging discussions um, about theology, um, partly because uh, he, he read his Bible regularly, but he wasn't ever part of a church. Um, he felt he couldn't be part of the Church of England, which is where his father ministered. I just said, you could come to my church. He said, that would be even worse, Ken. <laughs> he knew a little. He said to me, Jesus can't be holy God and holy man. He's one or the other, or he's fully neither. And his thinking kind of muddled me for a little while, because, you know, when you speak to people you look up to, and they're far cleverer than you, which is most people I speak to, and, and they say things like that, it kind of, well, how does that work then? Maybe he's got a point. And then I found this book, it said you can't make that kind of comparison. So this is the most helpful illustration I've ever read or come across uh, to explain this aspect of Jesus' nature. Uh, this book said you can have two shapes. You can have a square or you can have a circle. And something can be completely square 
or it can be completely circular, but it can't be both a square and a circle. This is where my English teacher was coming from. It's either a square or it's a circle or it's really neither. Or you can have two colours. Something can be perfectly blue or it can be perfectly red, but it can't be both. If it's a mixture of the two, it's something completely different. Jesus is either red or he's blue, but he can't be both. And then this writer said, but imagine this. A shape could be a perfectly square and perfectly red. Or it could be a perfect circle and perfectly blue. Why do we assume that when we talk about human beings and God, we're talking about two, two things that are so similar that they're both shapes or both colours? Does that, does that help? It just made me go, oh yeah, I kind of, I get that. I can, it's only an illustration. It's very hard to explain. Uh, you know, when you start to, no illustration fully stands up, does it? But it started to help me understand, oh, this is Jesus. This is the one. So when Jesus, when Jesus is alive and ministering and the disciples are with him, they are dealing with a human being. They ate with him. They slept with him. They talked with him. They saw him cry. He blessed. He was human. And he's divine. He's fully God. He has always existed. So Paul goes on to say, look, let's, let's just consider this aspect of him. He reigns over all creation. He's the firstborn. That's about his primacy in creation. It's not to say that he was created. He wasn't created. He created all things. But he has primacy, supremacy over all things. Everything was made for him. Things that we can see and things that we can't see. Created by him and for him. Now, I, I don't know if you've been watching anything about the International Space Station recently, but just because there's a British astronaut up there, it seems to have been on the news a bit more, doesn't it? I love watching the videos uh, that, that they film in the International Space Station as it flies over the Earth. And you see, you see the Earth, like at night especially, you know, when it's flying over the city and everything like that. I just find that kind of thing amazing. You see pictures of the Earth from outer space, and then you go on the Hubble telescope site and you start to look at these billions and billions of stars and the galaxies out there. And it's just, I cannot get my head around it. If they just found a planet, I think, in some solar system that takes like 10 million years to orbit its sun. And then I've seen a video in the last couple of weeks that the size of the biggest sun they found, the biggest star that they found, absolutely dwarfs our star. And yet Paul says here, Jesus made every single one. Scripture teaches us that he puts every star in its place. He knows every one of them by name. And it's only because Jesus exists that they stay together. It's not that God set up some kind of clockwork universe governed by the rules of chemistry and physics and biology and just lets it unwind. He holds it together. Without him, it would implode. Without him, there would be no universe. It is the power of Jesus that holds this planet in its orbit, that holds our star in its place in our galaxy and our galaxy in its place in the universe. Jesus holds it all together. He is above all things, whether you can see them or not. So there's a whole range of stuff that he created that we can't see. Powers and authorities, 
dominions. They're active. They're present. They're here. They're at work. They stand, some of them stand opposed to him. But he reigns over all of them. So when Paul writes in Ephesians about the power of the Spirit of working in your life, he says that's the power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and any title that can be given in this age or in the age to come. When Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, he says that at the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, the Christians at Colossae were concerned that there were other things at work and that Jesus wasn't sufficient. Paul says he is over everything. They thought they'd won a victory at the cross. They thought they had uh, killed the Son of God. Actually, he he humiliated them. I think J.B. Phillips translates that as he humiliated the powers and authorities at the cross. He triumphed over them. That is his greatest victory. When he said it is done, it is because everything God planned and purposed had been achieved at Calvary. He rules supreme. And then he's resurrected. So his primacy is not only that he is the most human human there has ever been, not only is he perfectly human, not only is he firstborn over the first creation, but he is the first to be resurrected into the new creation. He's the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So we look forward to our resurrection. We already have new life. We've been filled with the Spirit. We are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. One day all things will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a place where there is no more death, as we were reminded this morning. Jesus started that off with the resurrection. He began it. He is in first place with the first creation and with the new creation. And it is this recreation, this new life, That, Paul says, is what the gospel is bringing into the world so that God's original plans and purposes can be fulfilled. We are being recreated in the image of Jesus so that we can exercise God's government in this world, bearing fruit for him. And one day, he will complete that work. How did he do it? By the cross. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the victory. This is the victory. That at the cross, Jesus takes upon himself our sin and rebellion, and he gives us his righteousness. He dies in our place and on our behalf. And he gives us eternal life. He takes upon himself the judgment that is due for our sins. And he gives us righteousness in the sight of God. So that we can come to the Heavenly Father. Loved children. Without fear but with confidence. Restored. Healed. Forgiven. Reconciled. There is peace between us and God. We no longer are enemies of, in our minds of him because of our evil behaviour, as he says in verse 21. And we are no longer subject to the judgment and the wrath of God. 
We were his enemies. He was our enemy. It got dealt with at the cross. Peace came. We were reconciled. Why? Why? So that we could be like him. So that we could be presented holy in his sight. Without blemish. And free from accusation. So that we could have a knowledge of him. And as we put that knowledge into practice, we become more like him. And as we become more like him, he gives us more wisdom and more understanding. And we become more like him. And God is glorified in increasing measure in the earth. Because the gospel is bearing fruit in our lives. If Paul was on Facebook, I think he posts this. If you're listening to the podcast or you've never been on Facebook, you will have no idea what's now happening. This is what these verses are about. This is what Paul is doing. He is presenting Jesus. This is who he is. This is Jesus. God in a body, as I once heard Cliff Richard describe him. Fully human. Fully God. He is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin. There is no fault to be found in him. Be like Jesus. Through the power of the Spirit, the revelation of truth that we receive, through encouraging and strengthening and occasionally uh, occasionally bringing correction to one another, we become like him. This is God's plan. It has always been God's plan. It's not just these verses where that you could say this. I think this sums up Colossians. I'm really sorry to whoever's preaching next week. This is what Paul is saying. In fact, this is probably the whole of the New Testament summed up. The New Testament is a presentation of Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he's like. This is where his heart is. This is his character. Be like him. I was feeling quite proud of myself, if I'm honest. I thought I summed up the entire New Testament in nine words. And, and then I remembered what God said. Be holy as I am holy. And I thought, he summed up the whole Bible in six. <laughs> this is our call. So, and this is not a long ever faith over this part, I promise but when we're, when we're working with people to bring peace and reconciliation in their relationships, all we're doing is putting into practice what God has done for us. Yeah. So, one of my favourite writers, um, he is quite controversial, that might be why I like him, N.T. Wright. Uh, when he's looking, Tyndale series commentary, very good if you, uh, if you like this kind of thing. When he's looking at Colossians, he says this, Christians must work to help create conditions in which human beings and the whole created world can live as God always intended. There is a whole range of ethical norms which God built into his world. Respect for persons and property, maintenance of family life, justice between individuals and groups. Christians must be in the forefront of those working to promote such causes. 
Many opportunities to speak about Jesus will occur in the undertaking of such work as it becomes clear that the gospel provides a coherent and satisfying underpinning for those standards which uphold and enhance a truly human life. I realise that long quotes can be quite hard to follow, but his, his point is this. We seek to bring to others what God has given to us. It's not about seeing them saved. It's about loving people. It's about wanting people to experience life as God intended. So this is just one way. The idea of reconciled relationships is just one thing. There's a whole host of stuff that Paul is going to go on to speak about later on in Colossians. I don't want to cover everything. You can't cover everything. But one thing where I have seen disproportionate blessing abide is when people who feel like they ought to be close but have become estranged are brought back together again. Now, you will know someone in that situation. There may be part of your family where that is true. It's, it's true in my family. I've never met a normal family. So we all have this idea of what normal families are like. I've never met one. I know in my family there is estrangement. There is a loss of peace between family members. It might be that you work in a place where two people just do not get on. And you can be someone who brings peace. And God will bless you. Because he says... Blessed are the peacemakers. It might be that you've got two neighbours who don't get on. Maybe one of your own relationships has kind of broken down. You don't have to wait for that person to say sorry. One of the things that we can learn from Jesus about how to put relationships right is he took the initiative. He took the risk. He paid the whole price. I had an experience with my own father once where I had one of those phone calls towards the end of his life and he wasn't well. So he wasn't well. And uh, he would never have said this if he was well, but he said, you're dead to me. I don't have a son. And my dad did not know how to put that right. So after a while, I just wrote to him and said, I'm only going to write this once. I know you've said you don't want anything to do with me. But if you ever change your mind, I promise I will pick up the phone. As soon as he got the letter, he rang me. He just didn't know how to put it right. Jesus has shown us how to put it right. You can do this in your life, and in the lives of people you know, because it is a faith yes. work. Amen. It's not just a good idea. Amen. It's God's heart. Amen. Now, we've, we've had some words this morning. I'm, I'm not going to leave into ministry. I thought we'll do that in months. But we've had some words this morning about needing to empty out the bag, needing to put down the burdens. <laughs> if we're going to be part of bringing reconciliation to relationships, you have to put down the hurt. 
you have to let go of the bitterness. It has to come from love. That's where the power is. Not your love, but God's love at work through you. So we're going to have a moment. Can I suggest that we have a moment and you just think of that relationship right now that God has put in your heart where you want to bring or be part of reconciliation. I want to encourage you to do this. Put down the hurt. Put down the baggage. Love them. Say in your heart, I forgive them. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.